0: Green Left Weekly Radio. There is one newspaper that is independent of powerful interests and that's Green Left Weekly.
1: It's a people's voice committed to human and civil rights, environmental sustainability,
0: democracy and equality. It presents ideas mainstream media won't. It's the leading source of local, national and international news analysis and discussion and debate to strengthen the anti-capitalist movements. It exposes the lies and distortions of the power brokers and helps us to better understand the world
1: around us.
2: Good morning, listeners. You're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio. Um, it's uh, seven a.m. Um, and yeah, we've got another program packed of you know anti capitalist um, feminists, and socialist news. Um, Um, But before we, I guess, we start, um, just like to acknowledge that Free CR today is being broadcast to you um, from the Wandjina land of the Kulin Nation, Um, and I like to pay my respect um, to elders past and present, especially any um, Aboriginal people who may be listening to the program today. um, That this always was, um, always will be Aboriginal land, and that sovereignty was never ceded. I guess in terms of what we got coming up um, for the program, um, we've got two recordings. Um, if though those who have been listening to the previous breath rest programs from Wednesday to the Thursday, um, they will pl- uh, they have been playing um, recordings from um, this event that happened in Aug or- Well, I think early last week or this week. Um, or decolonising stories featuring, you know, um, people of colour and, you know, talking about their kind of experiences and of oppression and so on. Um, so we'll be playing the third part of that um, throughout the program, and we have um, two recordings to play: um, one from Samwa Saburi um, and the other from Candy Boas um, And I'll give a brief kind of introduction to um, both of them before, um, well, before I play each individual recording. Um, I guess um, it's seven a. At the start of the programme it's probably be good to talk about some of the major kind of political developments that have um, happened in the past week, and actually quite a lot has and what happened. A week. <laughs> um in fact it yeah, things seem to be moving very fast, although not necessarily very fast in like a progressive direction, but it just seems to be more like there just appears to be lots of scandals around certain politicians. Um, it's been this is the one week anniversary of Scott Morrison being <laughs> our new Prime Minister. Yay. And um, something I just want to kind of briefly comment about Scott Morrison is there seems to be this uh, interesting kind of sense of irony um, that I just kind of noticed, and this sort of insistence. And I've just noticed it on the so- on his social media pages. Um, this current insistence that um, he's constantly speaks to the Australian people or to people um, um, in saying that he is on our side. Um, in fact, there was. The first sort of lie he kind of said, it's um, totally empty. Uh, yeah, yes, yeah, so we are on your side. And then he actually, I just noticed on social media that he actually wanted to take that, um, uh, take that sort of line one step further. Um, we're just becoming getting to the point where it almost seems like he's trying a bit too hard, but he posted a picture of an Australian badge and he then said something along the lines of, oh, yes, I I wear this badge every day and I encourage all my staff to wear this Australian badge. Well, it's a, it's a badge of the Australian flag because, you know, it reminds me of um who, um who where we stand, what, that we're on the side of the Australian people and what we're fighting for. So it's just, there's kind of no, yeah, hint of irony there. Um, and, of course, I don't think you know, I don't think a politician like Scott Morrison is on our side necessarily. I don't think pe- someone who, you know, supports tax cuts for corporations, you know, supports torturing, you know, refugees in detention camps is someone that could, or supports attacking workers' rights is es- is someone that would could be any, considered anywhere near on our side.
3: Not at all. Literally, you've got to watch what they do, not what they say. Yeah.
2: And then there's also the... But I guess... Now, the, the current sort of spotlight is actually... And this actually relates to another story, actually. I want to kind of make the links between these two recent developments that have happening. Um, but there are two things happening that are kind of linked in and just kind of say something about the injustice of our political system. And that is the first thing... Um, there is a bit of a scandal around Peter Dutton right now, um, especially around um, it's been alleged, um, and there seems to be some evidence pointing to it, um, that he used his ministerial powers to let this, um, Fre- um, to prevent this French au pair um, being, uh, from being deported to the country. Um, on behalf of a boss in the AFL. Now, for listeners that don't know, I don't even know what an au pair was until until I okay, go, it's probably because I'm part of the working class. Um, but an au pair is basically, I think you could probably describe it as a sort of a servant for a very rich person. like A, a nanny, of, basically. A nanny, basically. Yeah. And so Peter Dutton is, um, it's basically been all over the meter that, um, you know, forget all this sell of things about whether he's constitutionally been able uh, able to sit in the parliament and you know, um, it is quite clear that you no know, he has misused his powers um, to prevent a French au pair from being deported and there's apparently uh, um, another, another story another case mm-hmm. flown around of a Spanish um, couple or span or someone from Spain who was au pair and um, i mean i don't I don't agree. Um, with the idea that anyone should be deported from this country. Um, but I think it's a very gross hypocrisy. Um, the same Peter Dutton, um, who's not willing to let, you know, children out of detention camps, is willing to deport, you know, refugees back to their you um, Who home. have
3: an absolutely go- good cause to be here, a human yeah. rights cause. A human rights here. cause to
2: yeah. be here. Um, I think it's absolute hypocrisy that he would use his ministerial powers. You know, it just shows that this political system is, you know you know, linked geared towards, you know, if you're rich, if you're serving the interests of the rich, we'll definitely allow you to stay, but if you're not, we'll just deport you.
3: And it's not it's not what you know, it's who you know. So these people called up favours and there was a misuse of, of his discretionary um, decisions. I believe in one of those cases, it was actually against his department um, recommendation as well. So there's that too. I mean, there's an immense hypocrisy, um, but this whole... Uh, Basically, we're going to give uh, preference to people who are... no I don't know what ethnicity these people were, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sort of go out on a limb and say they probably weren't brown. Yes. Um, and look, uh, what can we say? It's absolute hypocrisy. There's no, there's no doubt about it. And mm. this man won't even let people in with good human rights um, uh, reasons to be here to flee their countries. And children, children, won't, he won't let in.
2: Yeah, and um and he's also willing to deport existing refugees exactly. uh, especially refugees that are being unjustly um, dep- um deported um so this is just yeah it just sort of it just says some a lot about our immigration system how you know geared our uh, you know um our immigration system is you know towards sort of white supremacy towards um towards the rich and the powerful it's just
3: Absolutely, these things always have to be highlighted as well. We have to keep this pressure up and just show the hypocrisy.
2: Yeah. and now going on to another case of immigration, um, the famous kind of whistleblower um, Chelsea Manning is due on a speaking tour um, in Australia, within um, due to start on Sunday. Um, but there is, but um but, the, um, but the, immig- the Department of Immigration have flagged um, that they will likely and it's looking 100% likely and this is um an intervention from the government on this matter um that Chelsea Manning um, might be refused a visa to speak here on character grounds and of course the, le- the legalistic kind of argument really is the fact that she had served a criminal sentence but of course she was paroled um by the by the previous president of the United States um Obama um but i think there there's something to highlight here um in the in that same work we had in that same week we have an outright racist, um, Nigel Farage, um mm. coming on his speaking tour. Um we've they've let in the likes of, you know, Milo Yiannopoulos and Lauren Sovereign, who have, you know, if you'll get a reflection. had no problems getting visas. Yeah, they had absolutely no problem with reason. And in fact, I'm I'll just sort of position myself and say that I, I don't necessarily agree with the idea of refusing people like um, Milo Yiannopoulos and Laura Southern, you know, reases because simply no. because if there were a few, yeah. usually in the cases of where you know right wing figures have been refused um, it's used to attack left wing figures, like the case yes. of um, of Chelsea Manning, and previously last year it was um, I forgot, um, I forgot, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but a Palestinian activist who is the father of Ahid Tamimi. Um, was refused uh, a visa um, on the grounds of his involvement in um, you know um, um, protests in his own, in his own occupied country, Palestine. So they, that's uh, that's sort of where our kind of position. But I think there is it is worth highlighting the kind of gross hypocrisy from our government, um, and of course when it comes to cases like Laura Southern and Milo Yiannopoulos, they don't just let them into the country, they give them a red carpet welcome. In fact, these figures with, you know, outright racist, you know, sexist, homophobic and racist views, um, who, are, who are actually uh, consorting with, you know, outright far the far right, um, are allowed to are basically allowed to come in, you know, our parliament, you know, to get huge platforms, they get huge media platforms, mm-hmm. um, and you know, and to, to refuse a, you know, a, a heroic person like, you know, Chelsea Manning is just, it's just, it just highlights shows the gross kind of hypocrisy. Um, so I actually encourage um, listeners to actually, so- I actually think in this case a petition would definitely help. There's a lot of online petitions that were signed. In fact, there's a, a Amnesty International petition. I think that should definitely be signed. Um, you know, to show you know the um to show to demonstrate to the Australian government that we do want we want Chelsea Manning should be allowed to speak here, um and of course, in the interests of everyone who's paid money for, to see tickets, of course, should sure they will likely be refunded um when this all was made official, but you know she has yeah. a right to uh, speak here, especially. And she has played a role of being a whistleblower against injustice.
3: I contact your local MP, talk about it with your friends and family, make noise about this because it's a definite, it's an issue that we need to address because this is going to happen again in the future um, with these sorts of people coming into our country.
0: Hmm.
2: And yeah, so I think that just kind of reflects, um, you know, the kind of, yeah, definitely reflects the sort of gross hypocrisy of our immigration system. Um, and especially if um Nigel Farage is going to be given the gr- um the green light to um to come here now um next thing I kind of wanted to talk about um is I think that's i think we just might play i'll uh, we'll play a quick um i'll play a quick song actually for now um and then we might move on to playing the first recording from Decolonising stories All right you 're listening to green left um weekly radio um that was sister girls Ofa um and um yes, so it's um seven sixteen AM. Um and um we're gonna be playing um as advertised um earlier, we're gonna be playing a recording from Decolonising Stories, um, the part three of um recordings. Um and so the recording we're gonna be playing is Sama Sabui. Um and to tell you a bit about Sawa Sa- Ma Sabai, um, who has actually been uh, kind of regular guests on FreeCR programs, um, is an award-winning playwright, author and poet. Her critically acclaimed play Tales of a City by the Sea was selected for the 2016 Victorian Certificate of Education Drama playlist, um, won two Drama Victoria Awards for Best um, New Australian Play. Publication and best performance for VCE, um, and was nominated for the Best Independent Production at the Green Room Awards. And she is also a very active um, Palestinian activist um, for um, the struggle for Palestine. Um, So I'll be playing, we'll be playing the recording of that for the next 15 minutes, and then we'll be coming back um, to you with some news from the latest Green Left Weekly.
4: My name is Sama Sabawi, I'm a writer. I was born in Gaza, in Palestine, just after the Six-Day War at a time that was the most horrific uh, in my family's life. Um, It was a time when my home city, Gaza, fell under Israeli occupation, and my family was forced into exile forever, not to be allowed the right to return. The year of my birth um, has forever become known as the year of Naxa. Um, an Arabic word which means the relapse or the setback. And so every year with my birthday, we mark another year in exile. So in the middle of all of this sadness um, and terrible environment that I was born, my parents decided to name me Samah. It's an Arabic word meaning forgiveness. And it was also the name of a very popular song at the time. The song goes, Aslis Samah, Tabbail Milah. Forgiveness is a virtue of good people. Lucky are those who are able to forgive. You see, songs, poetry, stories, and oral testimonies, they are the fundamental building blocks of our lives and of our culture of resistance to colonization. And so my first poem, and I will be giving you a few poems today, and they will be kind of interweaved with me talking, so bear with me. Um, So this one is about the environment in which I grew up. It's called Verses and Spices. Growing up, my father's poems ran through my blood, my veins like blood, a necessary life ingredient, a rhythm that kept my heart pumping, Growing up, my mother's cooking warmed my soul. Her spices penetrated every fiber of my being. My Palestinian identity was shaped by food and poetry, by a feast of will and hope, by an assortment of words that were carefully arranged on our kitchen table and succulent flavors that lingered in our hearts. But of late... My father's poems seem to come out broken. Fatigue has crept into the mind of a man who has waited for too long. Of late, the aroma of my mother's spices no longer lingers in the air. A sense of aging, a touch of despair. Like many of their generation, time is running out and they are still trapped in the physical distance so far away from home, strangers to the land on which they tread. I look beneath my feet. I too stand in a vast land of aspirations not fulfilled, dreams not accomplished, desires relentless, unforgotten. Sometimes I am confronted by the deplorable display of inhumanity that has forced millions away from their home and has kept them from returning. So I hold on to my identity and I write poetry and I pray that its rhythm will keep my children's hearts pumping. I bring out the spices and I carefully measure my cumin, my cardamom, my sumac, and my cinnamon. I want to fill the air with a defiant aroma that will nourish my children's soul and remind them where we come from. I write and I cook and I create a Palestinian feast of delicious verses for all the parents who have waited for too long. I write and I cook, and I hope that my pen doesn't dry out and that my spices will linger for a while longer until I satisfy my hunger for justice. When we migrated to Australia, no one told us that we would be the settlers in someone else's land, a colonized people colonizing And in my university years, when I marched against apartheid South Africa, no one told me that apartheid would become the reality in my homeland. And when I learned about the claim of Terra Nellis, Australia was nobody's land, apparently, I thought of how Palestinians were told for decades that they did not exist and that Palestine was a land without a people for a people without a land. And as the words of our colonizers and their actions try to erase us, we must use our words to affirm our identity and our struggles. But as all of the presenters here would tell you today, it's not an easy task to do, to share our stories within the public sphere. There are those who try to silence you. There are those who try to whitewash your language to help you find a more moderate tone, you know, something a little bit more palatable for the mainstream's appetite. This poem is for those people, those good-doers, who are always trying to tell me to tone down because my language is too strong. The poem is called Words. I've been down this road before, someone tries to teach me how to use words that can open doors. Offering me tips in communication. Instead of saying apartheid, try a system of segregation. Downplay the Nakba and focus more on the occupation. And if you're writing a statement, be sure you start each paragraph with clear support for the two-state solution and don't forget to end it with a Hamas condemnation. Words. I stand dispossessed. No congressmen around me, no statesmen surround me, no lobby to breathe hellfire, no media eager to appease, no three-ring circus of intellectual jesters, academic clowns and policy experts who truly do not see the big elephant in the tent. No legal acrobat stands for me on a thin robe of decency. No politicians juggle oppression and human rights on my behalf. No trips to boost careers for MPs and their wives. No movies, no radio broadcasts, no myths, no lies, no Hasbro no army, no country, not even one leader to believe in. All I have are my words to tell my story my voice to demand justice and you're telling me my language is too strong. You may perfect the talent of delusion and the skill of denial. You may express regret and lament and cry tears of indignation. You may even insist you're on my side. But without naming the crimes they commit, without saying ethnic cleansing and apartheid, your words ring hello. So let me hold on to my words. I will use them sparingly. I will utter one word and a house is resurrected from memory on a hill in Palestine. I will utter another and I'm standing in the, under a sycamore tree and another and the scent of jasmine fills the air. Words lift me up from despair and take me home. Words bring down empires and defeat tyrants and reveal all that they wish to conceal. Humanity. I stand dispossessed of everything but my words. They are words of truth, of fire and steel. I use them deliberately, not to incite hatred and not to frighten. No, but to lighten up this darkness that has torn me into 11 million pieces and scattered me across the earth. Words tell my story. Nakba, Naksa, forced exile, ethnic cleansing, apartheid. These are the words that lay the foundation for the language of my liberation. Now, as a storyteller, I get really frustrated when people read one chapter in a book, and then they come and they talk about the book like they've read the entire book. And uh, that's precisely what I think has been happening here in Australia when we've been talking about race and hate speech, especially in the last couple of weeks in this country. This was clear when Fraser Anning gave his speech in Parliament, which shocked so many people, as if it came completely out of nowhere, as if this discourse was not the result of years and years and years and decades and decades of racism. So this poem is called Save Your Moral Outrage. So when they dropped the bombs on Iraq, lighting Baghdad like a Christmas tree, were they not fed on racist supremacy? And when they pillaged, destroyed, and deconstructed our cities, then made millions in contracts, reconstructing our cities, was this not a dangerous ideology? And when shades of brown and shades of black screamed for attention, these are your policies, your bombs, your wars, white man. When humanity gave up on living and drowned in your sea. Were the gatekeepers not waving the flag of colonialism and nationalism and we'll bomb them to smithereenism? This is not a problem that suddenly showed up on your shores. This is not a problem that suddenly shows up on your streets with men dreaming of the glory of the Ku Klux Klan and Nazis vying for free speech and a white house run by a pussy-grabbing man. This road has been paved with your silence and your complicity. With wars waged in your name, refugees you confined behind walls built for your security, and black lives slaughtered within borders you claimed. So save us your moral outrage. Now, I always like to end on a positive note, so I'm not going to leave you hanging there. Um, I always like to end with this poem because to me it's very important when we speak about language and about resistance and about where we come from to always be able to hold a vision for what is, is we're fighting for. What does decolonization in Palestine look like? What does collapsing the system of injustice in Palestine look like? And so I wrote this poem. I actually wrote it after spending hours um, in a very frustrating discussion with a Jewish Australian lady in Sydney. Um, And I was basically trying to tell her that calling for equality is not the end of the world. It just means that you and I will be equal, Um, to which uh, she thought it was a very scary concept. So I wrote this poem, and I dedicated to the Israelis who fear our freedom, and I say to them, don't be afraid. We will liberate you too. This is my rendition of an anthem to be sung. That day when you and I will stand side by side, shoulder to shoulder, watching a new dawn wipe away decades of hate and savagery. The day that I rise from the ashes of your oppression, I promise you I will not rise alone you too will rise with me. You will be liberated from your tyranny and my freedom will bring you salvation. This is my rendition of an anthem to be sung. I will craft new words outside of this language that has occupied me. Your words are like your walls. They encroach on my humanity. I am more than demography. I am not your terrorist, not your Islamist, fundamentalist, extremist, radical. I am more than letters, adjectives, and syllables. So I will construct my own language. And I will defeat your words of power with the power of my words. This is my rendition of an anthem to be sung. I don't want to obliterate you. I refuse to hate you. Don't care to demonize or proselytize or theorize your intention. Every breath you draw reminds me you are human. The sound of your beating heart is rhythm familiar to my ears. You and I are no different. We are made of blood and tears. This is my rendition of an anthem to be sung. I will rise and soar above your matrix of control and with the power of my will your walls will fall and the concrete that once segregated us we can use it to rebuild homes. The bulldozers and the tanks will dissolve into the earth. The sap will run in the olive trees. The gates will open wide for the refugees. We will be free. We will be free, and I will be your equal. And only then, you will be mine, my other self, my fellow human being. Thank you.
2: Right, that was um, Sawa um, Sababi, a um, uh, pre-recording um, of her talk that she um, spoke at um, decolonizing Stories, which was a free event that happened sometime in August, I think it was this week or last week. Alright, um, so it is 7.33am, Um, 7. 33 um so might just for now, might just play the quick mid-tro, um, which we actually should play more often for, of our program, and then we'll move on to some news from um, Green Left Weekly. Alright, um, you're listening to Green Left um, Weekly. Radio, um, and it's 7.34am, um, and Jacob and Megan are in the studio today. So um, just some new other sort of highlights, um, some new stories want to highlight. Um, these are not necessarily in Greenland quickly, but I think these are some important stories to share. Um, next Thursday, um, this is a bit pretty also... Sounds pretty terrible On next Thursday September the 6th um, Melbourne's uni- um, Melbourne's La University Will hold a talk By so-called Sex expert uh, Batani Arndt Who is declaring That the University rape crisis um, Is a myth. Um, which I guess Is a bit of a Contradiction of You know One of the key Findings of the um, Australian Human Rights Commission's 2017 National Report On Sexual Assault At Australian Universities And you know um you know aunt her interpretation of that study was you know who and when she was quite a minority in this said you know claiming it was good news because it actually showed that hardly any rape and um is happening and only a lot of unwanted staring which I think is I guess ridic- um pretty ridiculous um but of course the status uh the stats tell a different story you know of 3938 um, 30, 000, over thirty thousand students at thirty-nine Australian universities surveyed by the AHRC. One point six percent have had been, report, uh, had been sexually assaulted in a university setting, compared to just zero point zero point ninety-two percent of the average population, which is alarming in itself. Given Australia has one of the highest rates of reported sexual assault in the world, and of course that means that you know the kind of that means that young women are, at universities are seventeen more times more likely to be sexually assaulted than those in the general population. and yeah,
3: I think Bettina doesn't particularly want to have a look at the statistics. Mm-hmm. By the way, she's a long-term colonist, uh, colonist who um, has had these sorts of views for quite a long yeah, yeah. time. So. so
2: she's actually been – yeah, so the, the the base of the story is she's going to be speaking at the La Trobe University. She was actually – from what I remember, she was um, – she was going to be speaking, might have been speaking in an official capacity, um, but basically she is going to be hosted by the Liberal Party um, Club at La University, which I think just says something about the Surprise. Liberal Party. And in fact, their justification is that, you know, freedom of speech. Um, but of course, it seems to be, there's no consideration to, um, to say a woman like Sienna Brown who has been who's spoken in opposition to this uh as someone who has previously experienced sexual assault on at La Trobe University and has also had experience of you know harassment and um harassment by men, men during multiple times during her years of study and you know she's and uh, she's arguing that you know Brown um, um no, 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 um, she believes that allowing aunt to speak makes her campus feel even less, you know, um, space. And, you know, this event is a consequence, she says here, this event is a consequence of disturbing findings about the levels of harassment and assault at uni. And, of course, it seeks to discredit and counter those um, findings. And of course, she also says that you know the words themselves have impact too. Besides acting to involve men who don't want to take responsibility for their actions, they also attack survivors to suffer an assault and then be told you are the problem. That's a huge issue. It's nothing short of da- dangerous. And so that's really that's the substance of what um, Britannia Aunt is pro. Owning. She's promoting a kind of anti kind of feminist agenda. Um, the fact that she's been host the only way she's been. Has a platform to speak is the fact that she's been hosted by the Liberal Party club at La Trobe is even uh, more outrageous in itself. And, you know, I think um, the the university, um, just on the whole issue of freedom of speech, the university um, actually cancelled, initially cancelled, um, you know, Aunt's event, but for back flipping and deciding to let it go ahead and name a freedom of speech. And of course, you know, you know, their justification is why well, Dani aunt's is do not represent those of La Trobe. She is not coming as a guest to the university, but at the invitation of a student group. Permitting her to express views does not diminish our commitment to implementing the recommendations of the Respect Now Always report. And of course, Aunt has been long criticised, you know, for her victim blaming views of sexual assault. She has written about the difference between apparently actual rape and date rape, and says the majority of, you know, university sexual assault tales are actually just he-said-she-said said sto- um, stories revolving around sexual consent, which is just incredibly problematic in itself. Um, so there will, will actually be a protest organised, um, 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 a counter-protest at, at a talk. So they'll be happening at 11am um, at the La University. Um, basically, I think it will be taking place where her talk is going to be taking place. So um, listen... Listeners who may be at La Shrobe University just um, search probably the details of where where her talk is, um, and then there'll be will be a counter protest um, organised. So they'll be happening at eleven am um, next Thursday. <sighs> um, so yeah, that's uh, just uh, something that's happening at uh, La Shrobe University University. Um, the next kind of thing I want to talk about is um, his going on to international politics, um, and this is a uh, this is basically. Theresa um, May, who's uh, who's the Prime Minister of Britain, um, made an interesting tri- made a trip to South Africa, and she was actually <laughs> um, questioned um, by a journalist called Michael Creek and he did he made some really good questions, and I think it it, it just um, in in light of kind of the smears that have been put for uh, against um, Jeremy Corbyn, um, the Labour leader, of being an anti semite um, for you know his stance on Palestine, um, it is quite. The, he basically, um, you know, asked Fraser May, you know, what, what did you what did you do to um, to stand up against apartheid in, uh, in South Africa during the nineteen eighties? And you know, she basically, Fraser May, basically said, well, I didn't attend any protests, of course, um, but you have to, I, but you have to look at what the United the United Kingdom government did. Okay, so. What yes. did the United Kingdom um, <laughs> government did in the UK? Well, the Prime Minister was Margaret Fracture and she was basically calling for um, for Nelson Mandela to be Hun. Or
3: and alleging he was a terrorist.
2: Alleging he was a terrorist. Um, the same... Uh, The contemporaries of Theresa May, David Cameron, and Boris Johnson were part of the um, University Club of Conservative Students, whatever it is um, in um, the UK, and they were also making hang um, Nelson Mandela um, t-shirts. So. It's, it's completely, it's completely hypocritical, um, that Frisa May, you know, tries to claim that she had any, she stood up against, but the reality is she support, she stood and supported apartheid in South yeah. Africa and did absolutely nothing to, um, to oppose it. Whereas Jeremy Corbyn, um, the Labour leader, um, you know, he was he was on the picket lines as part of all the anti-apartheid process and did everything in his power to oppose it. And um, just, um,
3: I'd just like to point out, like Michael Crick really put the screws on her um, with questioning, but this is a really disturbing trend with um, conservative politics. So when they're on the wrong side of history, later on, it's very, very important for them to downplay that they were. And this is a common theme. And Theresa May is downplaying that she was on the wrong side of history.
2: Mm. Yeah. And um I think in this article um it sort of said that, you know, it was that uh, that interview was kind of, you know, um absolute you know hypocrisy because in her interview with Michael Um Crick, you know, Theresa May praised Nelson Mandela's calm and statesman like approach to fighting inju- injustice, conveniently forgetting that it was you know that it, you know basically trying to de-radicalise Nelson Mandela, and of course, you know Freesa May, as it sort of said here in this article in the Independent, Freesa May's visit to Robben Island is an insult to everyone who participated in the movement against apartheid. Perhaps she should have stuck um, to dancing. In hindsight, it's marginally less embarrassing than the scurrilous display of a lack of historical awareness or insight. Um, and I guess um, speaking of kind of like you know white um, washing. Um, politicians. Um, John McCain um, recently passed away. Now I'm I'm not going to sort of, you know, celebrate his death or anything or say that, you know, Obviously, all my no, best wishes to the to the family thing. affected. But I do think it's very problematic to whitewash his legacy. Um, just because someone has died, um, doesn't mean you should just basically say go on about how great of a person their legacy they were. continues. And yes. we
3: have to, if there's a problem with that legacy, talk out and and talk out mm. against that legacy. Absolutely. And,
2: and his and his legacy is that of supporting you know wars in the United States of you know you know. Killing innocent people in Vietnam as a World War II soldier. And in fact, you know, that would have been in Vietnam, no, during Vietnam, not World War II, yeah. sorry, um, during the Vietnam War. And of course, you know, I would think differently of John McCain, even for his role in that, if he came out of it an anti war activist. But no, he basically came from the perspective of supporting um, US imperialism in the invention. He also, I mean, one of the things about the, that the media has played up is his opposition to Donald Trump, which is a bit weird because basically, I mean, there is some marginal kind of differences between him and Donald Trump. Um, But the reality is he's voted um, as a senator in the United States, he's voted 80% of the time with Donald Trump. So, yeah, all these kind of things, uh, I think... This kind of whitewashing of the legacy of um, of John McCain, I think, is very problematic. And I think you know, deaf shouldn't actually protect you, shield you from political criticism, especially if you're a public figure. And there was this uh, similar kind of line um, being put forward when um, Margaret Thatcher died several years ago, where there was a deliberate attempt to whitewash her legacy. Of you know, basically, you know, Margaret Thatcher destroyed the lives of many mining communities and workers, and
3: her legacy has lived on for. For many 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 years and Absolutely.
2: and and the the main thing that the mainstream media could say about her is that she was a strong woman or <laughs> it's like yeah so uh, i think that though all those kind of narratives of of these establishment figures especially public figures who you know make who, who supported you know attack the attack attacks on working people and made many people's lives should be com- constantly critiqued um, now I've got to pass it on to Me- Megan because she has a few stories uh, from Green Left Weekly that she would like to sort of share.
3: Yes, um, so the latest Green Left Weekly has a an a article entitled "Corporate Tax Cuts Defeated for Now" by Jim McIlroy. And basically, amid the chaos of the Libs bill, the coalition government's signature plan um, to cut biz- big business uh, tax rate from thirty to twenty five percent for companies with a turnover of above fifty million has been blocked in the Senate. The vote was thirty to thirty six. And I just like to point out um, that in uh, just uh, until nineteen eighty eight, uh, the uh, corporate tax rate um, was forty nine percent. So we've gone from forty nine percent to 30% and now they want to reduce it to 25%. And there's a lot of people who have had, um, you know, opinions on this. Now, basically the gist of the article is that tax tax Taxing corporate uh, entities is how we gain money for infrastructure, we gain money for health, we gain money for a whole bunch of services that benefit our communities and benefit um, people. Now, if you take a look at the big four banks, um, so their profit in the 2017 to 2018 financial year, this is four banks $44.26 billion. That's their profit. And what we're looking at, or what the government's looking at, sorry, is to take down their um, tax rate from 30 to 25%. Um, so, yeah, there's um, there's a few people who've had some something to say about that. So, Ben o- Oquist, who's the executive director of the progressive think tank, the Australia Institute, which has been campaigning against the whole tax cut package, um, welcomed the Senate's decision. He said this is a good outcome for Australia. It's a good economic outcome. It's a good budget outcome. And it's good for Australia's long term revenue base and the services and infrastructure it can fund. He said there was no connection between company tax cuts and a jobs bonanza and higher economic growth and the government's mantra. The economic case, as well as the political case for large company tax cuts, has collapsed. The dividend from additional public infrastructure and government services like education far exceeds – we're talking far exceeds – any potential benefit from cutting um, uh, company tax. Now, um, now there's a couple of other people who've said um, – have had their comments. Now, Susan Price, who's a national co-convener of the Socialist Alliance and candidate for the seat of Parramatta in New South Wales um, in the New South Wales election next March – Said the coalition's tax cut plan was a gift to the corporate rich, and we know this. Um, we think there's, there has to be a radical transformation of the tax system. Price said it must force big business, big businesses, and the super rich to pay tax, um, because currently, unfortunately, lower income people shoulder the larger burden of tax, which is just absolutely ridiculous. Um, so, yeah, we support a steeply progressive taxation system, which big in which big companies and the super rich are made to pay. Um, the Liberals' change of leadership is likely to mean that these tax cuts for the rich will be back on the table and it means that the social social and union movements will need to keep the pressure up because if this is reintroduced, we must voice our opposition because this cannot happen. This means a loss of revenue for the essential services for people. Um, So, yeah, that was the um, the article um, by Jim McIlroy. Then there is an article... Actually, um, one, just
2: before that, yeah, um, one thing we didn't get a chance to talk about, actually, um, is the new kind of Daniel Andrews um, suburban um, rail loop um, oh, yes. announcement, which, I, which, you know, on the onset I'll it's looked very exciting. Um it's basically gonna be a rail a rail loop that will connect um broad um sort of stations like Broadmeadows and sort of sort of a loop all the way going to Shelton um to the south. Um it's quite similar to actually it's quite similar to the bus routes I live near in on Bell Street that go give a bit of that um, travel from the northern suburbs all the way to the east, which go to the east to all the way to the west. Um now uh, it's um but I guess the the biggest disappointment is the fact that this um, infrastructure um, ma- um, development is not going to be done, apparently, into. 2050.
3: Yeah, I'd like to point out that I'm going to be 75 in 2050, and Daniel Andrews is going to be 93.
2: Well, I don't think he'll be alive by then, but yeah, that's. that's, If he's alive. Yeah. And and I think actually, I mean, there's actually experts have actually been saying that a project like this, um, because there's historical precedent um, in, say, London, um, probably in countries like Japan, which have. Well, their infrastructure of the, um, their public transport infrastructure is so far ahead of a of a city like Melbourne, it's... and
3: they have been keeping up with their population. So they, their pro- public transport infrastructure keeps up with their population increase, which we have done a terrible job here in Melbourne of doing. Mm. Where our popu- our infrastructure has not kept up with our population.
2: Yes, um, without, um, so it's so it's the the experts are saying that a project like this could easily be completed by say twenty thirty or twenty or easily in. 10 years um so and i think also think that um in terms of like i mean this is a very welcome development but the problem is actually in the context of the fact that we're climate change um is happening and it's and we're at a kind of crisis point that i would actually probably can say safely say that these these kind of promises actually aren't good enough. Um, in fact, no, they're not. They, be made a priority. In fact, they, we actually should. We actually probably need to be going through. Um, in the case of Melbourne, it needs. We need to have a, a much more rapid industrial planning. In fact, you know, the government could actually not be spending money on building roads to put all the investment in these kind of infrastructure kind of developments. Um, and one of the other things that I notice is that there's going to be um, Don, a Doncaster station is going to be part of that, and you know. It begs the question: Why isn't there any attempt to build Doncaster rail line? Because that is the most that has been on the pipeline since the 1960s, and they still haven't built mm. a Doncaster rail, and yet, um, yet people who live in Doncaster—in fact, I used to—I was working in Doncaster for a couple of months, and people in Doncaster have to deal with overcrowded buses, which is clearly mm. not efficient. Um, they could be taking and they could be taking all these row um, these cars off the Eastern Freeway, for example, if they just had invested um, in a Doncaster Rail earlier. Like I think there's we need to have I think the something that in the future of Singapore is it would be worth sort of highlighting um, looking at the history of public transport in Melbourne and, you know, um, talk about the kind of disaster in planning that it really has been. And I think
3: what could have been if we hadn't have, have had that plan that, that terrible planning.
2: Yeah. And I think it also a lot of it does have to do with the Privatization of our public transport. In fact, one of the thing, one of the problems I hear about this new suburban rail loop is the fact that it is going to apparently there's going to be a lot of contracting, and there's going to be some sections of it that might be um, um, partitioned to private companies, and there's also probably going to be some negotiations with private developers over, over you know, which developers get which parts of land that are part mm-hmm. of, that they're going to be part of the. Um, Yeah, part of the infrastructure development. And in fact, you know, a a project like this actually should be 100% publicly funded uh, and put in in – well our whole public transport system should be going because i think this sort of mix of public and private sort of partnerships have not worked they um, haven't worked no and you know we waste lots of money i mean i was just at, at the on the bus here you know our our public transport system spends a lot of money on hiring ticket expectors <laughs> to police people who use um, who use public transport um yet you know that money could could probably be spent on actually improving the infrastructure of the public transport, of making more frequent trains and probably public transport could be made free because there's a, a strong case to be made um, that public transport being free um, the cost would eventually pay for itself um, simply because you wouldn't have to spend all this money on ticketing machines yeah. etc um, and because that's the majority the majority it, yes. of our public transport system is paid for for by our public dollars anyway
3: even the private sectors that we still pay for that infrastructure that's definitely important to be pointed out yeah and they make and they, money make, and, the and they make money off for.
2: they make money basically off the infrastructure we pay for so yeah, yeah I think this yeah again this suburban rail loop is a Welcome development, um, but you know the fact it's not going to be done to 2050 is is a bit of a downer. Look, and I
3: think it has to be said, this is pork barrelling at its finest. They're saying if we get elected, we will implement this. Mm.
2: Oh yeah. So what's going to happen if the Liberals get elected? Well, what well what's going to happen is we probably won't get a project like this until, until 2070. And I'll have to be cynical there, but if we have not mm. made any, if by 2070 we don't have things like 100% renewables, um, we haven't replaced all our coal mines with solar thermal fa- um, um plants. If, 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 if these basic, if there hasn't been serious kind of uh, fits into remodeling our infrastructure city infrastructure to be you know um uh to be in the twenty first century to actually address the the climate crisis we're in um then by twenty seventy one we'll probably'll we'll be having we'll probably have much bigger problems so to deal many more problems, b- problems <laughs> to deal with um and it's pop- and then then just waiting for this infrastructure development to be um to be implemented so yeah that's um that's sort of what a bit of a um Take the policy, and also again, um, in terms of the public transport. I mean, Daniel Andrews sort of can pat himself on the back for it, but there's actually a lot of immediate things that the state labor government could be doing. Um, they could be investing money into improving the signalling of all the all the stations. Um, there could also be there could be also attempts to actually. Um, I mean, they're doing this for the Cranbourne line. They could um, split the tracks up for. Um, for the upfield line upfield to make line, more to make it. more frequent trains. In fact, that's been a way overdue um, development. Um,
3: decades overdue. Decades um, that's overdue. That's my train line. <laughs> yeah,
2: and uh, and I mean, it's not good enough that we uh, that um, passengers have to rely on the on the on the tram lines because I think the main reason why the the upfield lines neglected is because you're, there's the existing route nineteen, route one six and. Route ninety six lines, and unfortunately lines.
3: during peak hour they are massively um, overcrowded yeah, to the exactly. point you can't even get on some trams in mm. peak hour.
2: <laughs> okay, so um, Megan has to go in five minutes, so I'll give you five minutes to finish up yes. one last article.
3: No problem. So this is uh, one of the latest articles on the Green Lake Weekly website. Um, it's written by Sam Wainwright, who is a socials counsellor in I believe WA. Is that correct? Yes. <laughs> yes. So it's um, basically about. Um, uh, France's Environment, environment Minister, Nicolas Hulot, who has announced um, that he is uh, – during Live War Radio, mind you – and that he's uh, resigning after 15 months in the role of Environment Minister. Uh, he's a part uh, parting company with uh, President Emmanuel Macron. He said, I don't want to lie to myself anymore. I don't want to create the illusion that my presence in the government means we're up to the challenges, and so I've decided to quit the government. Now, without saying capitalism, Hullo blamed the market-led productivist logic behind the government strategy, commenting, we're going to, we're going to a great effort to sustain the economic model responsible for all this climate chaos. Now, this is a brave man, and we need to have more people speaking up about this, because Our current economic model is the reason why we have such a problem with climate change and climate chaos. Uh, Hulot, who had a career in television, is one of France's best-known environmentalists. In 2011, he had a tilt at being the Greens' presidential candidate, uh, coming second in that party's pre-selection process. Uh, He was courted by three um, French presidents, including Jacques Chirac, Nicolas Sarkozy and François Hollande, who all offered him the position of Environment Minister. And it was quite a coup for Macron um, when Hulot accepted the role of uh, Minister of Ecological and Inclusive Transition. It was designed to give the impression that the new administration was serious about climate change and other environmental issues. Now, just my interjection here, how can we be serious about uh, environmental issues when we're not changing the very system that has caused these issues? But Hulot was um, allowed a few symbolic and important wins, but it was always clear the new government would not go to the heart of the eco- ecological crisis and attack the logic of capitalism. In particular, Hulot had to acquiesce to Macron on issues such as greenhouse gas reduction targets and nuclear power. There's been plenty of speculation that it might get too much for the, for the new minister, but no suggestion he quit on a live interview without first telling the president. Ahulo expressed a strange but sincere naivety about the bind he'd gotten himself in. He criticised the gulf between the government's rhetoric and its deeds, the power of the industrial lobbies and the short-term approach of the government, which, mind you, is, is pretty much the short-term approach of every government um, you know, in, in the world at the moment. Um, Despite blaming the economic model for the climate crisis, when asked why serious action was not being taken, had no answer, seemingly unable to grasp the vice-like grip that the big corporations have um, over government and still insisting on his friendship for Macron. Nonetheless, Hulot's decision is a huge blow for Macron. His government has far, so far toughed out a wave of strikes and protests against its plans for, the deregulation, for deregulation, cutbacks and privatisation, protected by a thumping majority in the National Assembly. But Wonderboy Macron's approval rating has dropped from 65% straight after his election in May 2017 to 40% today. Now, for social movements and unions fighting Macron's neoliberal program, this weakening of his executive could not come at a better time. Furthermore, it pushes the deadly seriousness of the ecological crisis and the fundamental inability of capitalism to resolve the problem at the centre of French politics, and I would suggest at the centre of most politics globally.
2: Okay, so thanks for that, Megan. Um, We're getting in close to 8 a.m., so I'll just be playing um, a few announcements um, and then we'll go on to the activist calendar. You're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio. Um, It's just me in the studio right now because um, Megan had to leave early. Um, But for the rest of the program, we've got the Activist Calendar. Um, So just some upcoming announcements of different activist events that are coming up um, this week. Um, So... Today, um, there's going to be a public meeting organised by the CFMEU, the launch of the VTAC uh, silica exposure standard. Um, We're taking a stand on silica exposure. Silica dust is so fine it can enter the deepest part of the lungs. Exposure can lead to fatal diseases including syclus and lung cancer. So there will be a public meeting informing, I guess, um, CFMEU members at this issue um, at 10am at the CFMEU office at um, 5... 540 Elizabeth Street in the City. Um, there'll be another film screening of um, Stop Darnie, uh Mighty Force, at 6.30pm at the Power Victoria Hub, 130 Young Street in Frankston. Um, on Sunday, September the 2nd, um, there'll be a comedy um, night, Keeping the Bastards Honest, um, topical pol- political comedy on the first Sunday of each month. And they'll be at 5pm at the Brunswick Green. Um, in t- in, on Tuesday, September the 4th um, There'll be a rally for redress um, Stand with the Stolen Generations um, uh, A protest hosted by uh, Greens MP Lydia Thorpe um, And so they'll be happening at 9.20am outside the Parliament Of Victoria at Spring Street in Melbourne um, Following that there'll also Be a protest, detective hunt for Mafia Guy's missing climate change policy Despite the fact that Victoria has an election In little over three months, opposition Leader Mafia Guy and the Victorian Liberal Party, have failed to present a plan to rein in emissions and protect the community from climate change impacts. Um, so they will be at 12 noon at the Parliament, um, yep, 12pm 12, 12 at September the 4th at the Parliament House. Um, happening on next Thursday, um, there'll be, I think, a,
0: pro,
2: there'll be a protest organised by the ASU. Um, I just need to figure out an defence of community mental health. Um, let me quickly get the details for that yep yeah, so, so there'll be a rally to save sorry let me quickly get this there's a but the next Thursday there is a rally to save community mental health and it's going to be happening okay here I've got the details so next Thursday on the sixth of September from nine thirty a.m to ten a.m um outside outside Daniel Andrew's office at one Treasury place um um there'll be a demand to to um there'll be demand um to put to save community mental health put forward by the ASU. And they um, the ASU are campaign um they're called on the government to provide immediate interim refunding to community mental health services for a period of three years and a commitment to invest in developing a long term plan for community mental health in Victoria. So they'll be happening at Thursday, the sixth of September at nine thirty AM at one Treasury Place. Um on Friday, um, at six, there'll be a number of events happening. Um, there'll be a protest against Nigel Farage, um, happening at I think seven pm out the outside the Crown Casino or six pm. Um, but there'll also be uh, there's also a rally called by Friends of the Free fifty org. Um about climate action, um, as part of the week of the day of climate, um, the day of climate from the 7th to the 8th of September. Um, so they'll be happening at, um, Federa- at federation square at 6 p.m. on Friday, the 7th of September. And I think anyone who's sort of stand- um, standing up for climate action and wants and p- wants to build the climate movement should definitely, uh, attend that protest. And if she doesn't, um, if she, by some miracle, um, Chelsea Manning is allowed a visa to come into the country. On Friday, the se- September the 7th, there'll be a public meeting, an evening with Chelsea Manning at the Melbourne Convention and Ex- Expedition Centre. Um, there'll, um, there'll be also a number of different events ca- happening coming up as well. Um, there's on Tuesday, September 11th to uh, Sunday, September 16th, um, there'll be, um, Monak Monarch Molele, um, which just touches on themes relating to indisposition of Indigenous people, assimilation policy, um, apocalyptic genocide, while also expressing intergenerational intergenerational resilience with strong indigenous sovereignty out in turn. So they'll be at the La Mama Courthouse, 349 Drummond Street in Carlton. On Tuesday, September 11th, there'll be a public meeting, um, The Many Socialisms of Ernie Lane, attempt to make sense of Australian pre-Bolshevik socialism by examining the ideological evolution of pioneer and radical Ernest Henry Lane. And they'll be featuring Speaker Ricklit. Um and they'll be at 7pm Tuesday, September 11th, at the new international bookshop at Trades Hall. On Saturday, the 15th of September, um, there'll be a forum, What Can Young People Be Doing to Help Refugees? Um, and they'll be happening at 4pm at the Camberwell Library, 340 3-4, um, Camberwell Road in Camberwell, and it's hosted by Melbourne Youth for Refugees on Um on Wednesday, September the 19th, um, there'll be a conference, Transforming Democracy, Claiming Our Power, Conference of the Federation of Community Legal Centres. So, they'll be at the Town Hall Wednesday, September the 19th. Um, in term, On other events, there'll be uh, NUW Victorian Picnic Day at 10am at the Mooney Valley Racecourse. All right. So, now, um, I'll be... Playing a few quick, I'll play a few quick announcements, um, and then we'll be playing uh, another recording from Decolonising um, Stories. Right. you're listening to Green Left um, Weekly Radio. Um, it's eight ten a.m. Um, so for the next eleven minutes, I'll play a pre-recording of Candy Boas um, from um, decolonize the third path of decolonising stories recording, which was an event that happened in August. Um, so just to give a bit of an introduction, um, Candy Boas is a speaker, writer, actor, theatre maker, and filmmaker. Um, the artistic um, director of Black Honey Company. Um, Candy has pioneered a fierce subgenre of Contemporary Performance, which earned her the 2018 um, Jeffrey Milne um, Green Room Association Award for Outstanding Contribution to Independent Theatre. Um, just another thing to mention, um, Candy is the ambassador for a South African theatre production called The Four, which is on from 27th August until the 2nd September. And of course, there'll also be um, a fringe creative workshop, The Art of Decolonisation, on The Art of Decolonisation on Friday, the 31st of August with cast members of the four. So I'll be just playing um, that recording for the next 11 minutes um, and hope you listeners enjoy.
1: In the summer of 1984, the streets of Dandenong smelt like hot horse hair, burnt rubber and sweet curry. The teenage boys that lived at number 22 spent their nights drag racing around Waverley Gardens shopping centre and they brought the stink home with them The heat seemed to un- Intensify the smell And trap it like a hot air balloon We had central heating For our red brick house in winter But in summer All we had was one of those royal blue And grey pedestal fans Which was mainly kept at my mum's Face height in the kitchen I could just get my hands In its wind path if I stood on my toes Also why do South Africans have to eat three hot meals a day even in the summer? The house was like a kiln and the back room acted like a beacon for the sun. Mum could have fried her chops on the windowsills. It was cooler to sit outside in the 40 degree heat. In the paddock behind our house, horses stood sweating, sidled up to weeping willows trying to catch some cool in their shade. My sisters and I watched from the swing set, clammy fat thighs sticking to the hard plastic seats like milky bars left in your pocket too long. We'd eaten a whole box of home brand icy poles between the three of us and by lunchtime there was no way we were going to exercise off that cold, angry sugar. By the time my mum called us in to eat, we were beyond irritable. Is there bacon in the potato salad? Of course there's bacon. How come I don't have any bacon? She's got all the bacon. You're a pig. A pig wouldn't eat pigs. Stupid, so stupid. You are so stupid. Just as we were about to break out into our version of Lord of the Flies, a neighbourhood boy walked through the front door into the dining room. Into the dining room. Warren Kellett. 11 years old, all legs and a ginger mullet, basically heartthrob material. (laughs) He walked straight into the dining room of our house. My sisters and I grabbed for our sticky tank tops and slowly stood up, gawking at him. Warren Kellett hadn't even said hello to us before and now he was in our house. It was kind of a big deal. Wow, that smells really good, Warren Kellett spoke. Mum poked her head out of the kitchen. Oh, hello, Darren, Stephen, Kevin. What's your name again? You're Bev's boy, aren't you? Said Mum. I'm Warren Kellett, said Warren Kellett. Oh, that's right, Warren. Are you hungry, Warren? Do you need something to eat? Yes, please, replied Warren Kellett, who was almost in grade six and was actually standing in our dining room. We scrambled to get the hunk of Birchill Grover's seat and sat in complete silence as mum doled out potato salad, peas, fresh rolls and chops. My sisters and I picked at our plates pretending we weren't interested in trying to act natural. It seemed like an hour passed before anyone spoke. Is everything okay, Warren? My mum asked. Yep, said Warren Kellett. "'Can I have some more peas, please?' "'Of course, but you better leave room for some um, ice cream and peaches,' said Mum. "'More peas, please,' laughed Kim. "'Oh, that's funny.' "'I glared at her. "'With so much fire, I saw the red glow reflect in her eyeballs. "'Sorry, Warren, she's stupid. "'She's an idiot.' "'That's pretty funny, peas, please,' said Warren Kellett, smiling.' Peace, please, 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 said Kim, and a huge piece of snot hit the table. <laughs> that was it. We were all in hysterics, mouths open and killing ourselves. Mum brought in bowls of Neapolitan ice cream in apple-shaped brown glasses, and uh, Warren Kellett, he looked like the joy was about to smash out of his chest. Wow, I love three-color ice cream, he shouted. And that's when I knew that Warren Kellett was the one for me. We licked our bowls clean in complete silence. After lunch, we headed outside and played with the sprinkler. Somehow, my sisters and I got along much better when Warren was around. (laughs) Tanya even let us use some of her Christmas water bombs. I mean, all rules just diminished when Warren was around. Uh, He was the greatest. By 4pm, more kids from the neighbourhood were outside and we started a massive all-in water fight. At six o'clock, Mum called us back for dinner. Wash up, girls. Candy, it's your turn to set the table. And Mum placed a steaming tray of macaroni cheese in the middle of it. I need one more plate, Mum. Mum poked her head around the corner to see us all sitting at the table with our clean hands in the air, including our latest addition, Warren Kellett. Oh, hi, Darren, Warren, said Mum, somewhat incredulously, Hello, Mrs Bowers, said Warren, beaming, because I'd taught him our last name during the day. Um, Won't your mum be wondering where you are? Warren dropped his head. I mean, you're most welcome to stay, Warren, but should we check with your mum first? How about you go and ask her now? Candy, why don't you go with him, suggested my mum. My heart jumped about a million miles and I stood up, walking straight past Tanya not looking in her eye because she's the one who taught me how to do the fire glare in the first place. (laughs) Warren and I walked outside in silence, which was pretty weird because we chatted and played together all day long. I felt very strange, like I was heading into a dark cave and neither of us us had a torch. I love your hairstyle, Warren. (laughs) Did I tell you that already? I said, trying to break up the mood. Yes, said Warren Kellett. I wish I had straight hair, too. I squawked as we turned into his driveway. Well, that's stupid, he said, and I crumpled a little inside. Your hair goes with your face. We were at his front door, and I had no idea as to whether hair suiting a face was a good or bad thing. (laughs) The door was open, so we walked inside. Be really, really quiet, he whispered to me. Oh, okay, is your baby sister asleep? No, Margie's in hospital. She had a bad cough, he whispered. He hadn't told me that. We tiptoed through the corridor. All the lights were off and the house smelled like cigarettes and old socks. I covered my nose. Warren pushed open a door. Mum? I took a step on a dodgy floorboard which sounded like an old toad and screamed like a banshee. Warren looked like he'd peed his pants. "'Hello?' said another voice. We both screamed, fell to the floor. The lights went on, and it was my mum and my sisters. I collapsed onto the couch, totally exhausted. "'All of you, sit on the couch,' my mum ordered. "'Bev, are you home?' Mum called, walking through her house. "'Bev, are you in the bathroom?' That night, Warren Kellett slept in the back room of our house, and I could hardly contain myself." It was worse than Christmas Eve, I barely slept a wink. In the morning we ate Fruit Loops and watched Star Wars spin-off cartoons while my mum looked after Mrs Kellett. Warren's mum had taken a bath two days ago and she'd, she just hadn't gotten out. She would dropped Margie off at the hospital, she'd come home and she'd gotten in the bath. Warren had come home after school and heard her crying he couldn't get in and he didn't know what to do. He was hungry, so we came to our house. Mom told us that Aunty Bev was very, very sad. She said she was sad because Margie was sick again and she felt like her whole world was caving in on her. Mum said she could relate to that. Our mum had followed our dad to Australia on the promise of a brighter life away from the dangers and hardships of apartheid South Africa. Almost as soon as she arrived, she realised that our dad wasn't doing so well. He had night terrors. One time, she caught him in the car in the garage. My sister told me he's trying to gas himself. Dad went to the hospital a lot. He was a light-skinned South African man. and apartheid had totally ruined him. Annie, Bev and Mum were inseparable for a while and Arnie Bev didn't leave our back room so much. Luckily, they had three more pedestal fans so we could all survive our living room. We lived between both houses, and we got to look after Margie and Warren a lot. Most people would have thought that Mum and Aunty Bev wouldn't have had that much in common, Mum being South African and the kellets, Kellets being vintage bogan, as Tanya used to say. Sometimes people stared at us in the shops when Warren and Margie were with us because they couldn't work out how my mum had so many different coloured kids. Warren taught Margie how to call my mum mum just to mess with the stuck-up snobs. Margie's in her late 40s now. And she still calls my mum on her birthday to say thank you. I always know when mum's talking to Margie because she has this particular twinkle in her eye. Hello, mum, Margie always says. Hello, my child, my mum says to her. How's your mother? Which probably sounds very odd to everybody else. My mother grew up under apartheid, a system of oppression and segregation. She wasn't allowed to buy clothes to eat ice creams inside stores, to do ballet, to share her home or her classroom with people who weren't the same shade of skin as her, she wasn't allowed to look white people in the eye. When I asked her how she ended up fostering so many vintage bogan children, how she became so close to a vintage bogan single mother like Arnie Bev, she answered. Well, it wasn't, and it isn't, against the law to be friends. Thank you.
2: Hi, that was Candy Boas. Um from her talk at um, decolonizing Stories, and so that finishes up um, the last part of all the kind of different talks and um, that happened at that event. Um, so um, we have, it's 8.23am. Um, I might just finish up um, the program with a, just a few different stories. Um, just uh, wanted to report on that. On August uh, 29th, um, there was actually a rally Um of Delivery Drivers and Unionists, um, which was organised by the Transport Workers' Union and On Demand Workers' Australia. And, you know, the quote... um Wage theft is rife in the food delivery industry, which includes um, the likes of companies like Foodora. Um, the action demanded that the federal government puts in place a safety net to ensure riders from all companies and guaranteed minimum wage and entitlements. You know, Sheldon told this um the rally um said that he knew of one case in which a Foodora work- worker was owed. in back pay and entitlements and Fedora has now skipped the country to avoid legal battles leaving its riders with little notice that they would be out of a job and with no severe pay. You know the multinational company Fedora now in receivership in Australia is leaving the country with a suitcase full of cash Sheldon State and of course the The TWU is calling on the coalition government to set up a fund to ensure all Fudura and other food delivery workers receive their wages and entitlements. You know, the government needs to change the rules to ensure all workers get what they are owed. You know, Deliveroo is bringing in a new system that reduces the income for most riders taking part in the trial. A food delivery rider in Overseas Street, Fernando, told the rally that over the 18 months he has been in industry, wages have gone down and down. The company has just changed the contract, and we have no choice. With more riders than ever on the street, they can offer lower wages than before. Um, Tom- Thomas. Co- Costa, um, Union's, uh, New South Wales Assistant Secretary, described the food delivery service as a cowboy industry. Um, writers work in difficult and dangerous conditions with no leave, sick leave and or superannuation rights. The gig economy cannot be trusted to self-regulate. The government must take responsibility to protect the rights of all workers. Um, so there's so the game. So that, that was just um, a sample of all of the things that were said um, at a rally that happened on August ninth. and I do think it's a kind of very important industry um, to that, um, to be highlighted in sort of the current stage of capitalism we are in. Um, for many young people um, like myself, um, with with a lack of kind of permanent part time and secure work or permanent full time work, um, a lot of young people have resorted to working on um, working in insecure industries such as hospitality, um, food delivery, who um, and you know these these. Industries are incredibly exploitative um, and, you know, our multinational companies get away with quite a lot. And I think, you know, it's very important that we pay bringing attention to these um, campaigns. Um, and I think if um, listeners want to find out more information about kind of what's happening in this industry in terms of industrial disputes and other campaigns, um, I would suggest um, contacting the TWU or the on-demand workers, especially if you do um, work in that industry. Um, and, um, I guess we're getting close, really close, really to the end of the program. Um, I'm might, we might have time or oh, I don't think we might, I would just like to thank, um, thank all our listeners, um, for tuning into the program today. Um, and, and, um, hope you enjoyed the program. Um, we'll have next Friday. We'll have um, probably. Um, I look forward to um, speaking to all of you next Friday for another round of you know radical news. Um, putting people, put people before pla- um, our planet, and you know fights for the struggle for a better world. Okay, so uh, that is Green Left Weekly Radio, um, and stay tuned for Beyond Zero Admissions. <laughs>
0: This brings us to the end of the show. You have been listening to Friday Morning Breakfast with Green Left Radio. Brought to you by the Green Left Weekly Newspaper, which provides a weekly source of alternative information which aims to inspire action to put people and the environment first. If you would like to subscribe to the newspaper and get it delivered to your door, you can do so by visiting the website at greenleft.org.au or call one 634 206 for new subscribers, it is only $10 for the first six issues. Repeats of the show and interviews are podcasts on our homepage on the 3CR website. Thank you for listening. You are tuned into 3CR Community Radio, 855 Digital on the AM dial and streaming live on 3cr.org.au.